All right. Good morning, everyone. How y'all doing? Awesome, awesome. Same question applies for those online. How y'all doing? Can't hear you? All good. Thumbs up. Let us know you're here. I get to um, kickstart our next series called Home. I think it's up there. It should be up there. And we're gonna, it's going to be a three-week series, and today we're going to be talking about the work life. Next week, we'll talk about parenting, and we're also going to have babe dedications next Sunday. And then the third week, the third Sunday, we're going to be talking about finances God's way. But really, why, why, why are we having this conversation at church? Well, the home matters. The home matters. Our lives, our relationships that take place at home matter a lot. In fact, for our kids especially, uh, it's their identity, it's, it's where their identity is derived from, the safety and the security of the home. And so today, you know, we're going to be jumping right into having this conversation about work and vocation. Um, but let me begin by asking you all a, uh, a question, and feel free to chime in here in person and online, but what was your first job? What was your first job? Nobody? Just call it out, call it out. Being a parent, full-time job, for sure, more than full-time. What else, what else? Dominoes. Hairdresser, babysitter, babysitter, right? So we have, I think, I wouldn't say fond, but we have memories, certain memories of our jobs, and maybe you're in a job right now that you love. Maybe you're in a job that you hate. Maybe you are unemployed. Maybe you're underemployed. Maybe you are a workaholic. I think uh, many of us, have a particular relationship with our jobs, either currently or in the past. And I think it's important for us to at least establish some common conversation or common ground around work, vocation, jobs, calling, etc. And so this morning, um, I want to actually begin just from looking at the creation account in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And let's look at it together from verse 31. But it says this, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation, in creation, amen. So the, uh, this morning, I really wanna talk about three things. And the first is that humanity or humankind was created to work, was created to work. The second thing that I wanna talk about is that rest is sacred. And then the third thing is I wanna offer a new framework for us to examine or at least ask ourselves a question can we relook or re-examine what we call work-life balance? All right? So humankind, humanity was 
designed to work. Let's look at it together. Again, verse 2. And on the seventh day, God finished his work. Verse 3. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work. In the very opening story of the entire Bible, it says that one of the first things that God did was that he worked. That God worked. In fact, the, the, the Hebrew word, the Hebrew verb that talks about this, it's simply, it's, it's defined by just normal occupation, normal business. There's nothing grand, there's nothing grand about this, this word. And I think it's interesting for us to think about, oh, right. It's not just that God created this, in the majority of, of chapter one especially, but that he tells us explicitly that he worked. And I don't know what your relationship is like with work, whether it's a negative thing or if it's a necessary evil to accomplish the things that you truly want to accomplish. But in the beginning, God worked. But also in the beginning, when God created Adam, he placed Adam in the garden to work. Let's look at this together in verse 15 of chapter 2. The Lord God took the man, Adam, and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So God works. He tells Adam, you're going to work. And if you were to label their job, I would say that God, his occupation was creator. Adam, his occupation was gardener. And you and I, we have certain associations with certain job titles. You might be proud of your job title. Maybe you're a little embarrassed of your job title. I'm here to tell you this morning that whatever occupation you, you, you have or you do, that it's a good thing, that it's a godly thing, and that it's important. That it is not the necessary evil in order to do what you want to do. The word vocation is actually uh, rooted in a, the Latin for the uh, definition is to call. So when we talk about vocation, it means essentially that you are called to do something. And oftentimes, oftentimes, pastors, missionaries, and church workers, uh, we like to use the word calling. I was called to do this. I was called to do this. And I think the vast majority of Christians, they don't use the word calling is I just, that's my job. I do this for a living. Friends, I'm here to tell you that your vocation is your calling. That you are called to that workplace. You are called to those individuals. You are called to that boss to work. To work. I think it's interesting how um, the first occupation for humanity was, was Gardner, for Adam. He was a gardener, and I think too often what we, what we do is we, 
we un- underestimate uh, the value of all the menial tasks. All the menial tasks. Gardening, for you to see and experience all the beauty that the plants and the trees and the flowers, they, they, they show eventually. They don't, I, don't, I don't think we realize all the hard work, the behind the scenes, the, the labor that goes into it. But all of that stuff is important. All of that stuff is important. Just the watering, just the weeding. And so I don't, I'm, I'm here to tell you this morning that, yeah, there, you, you might be sitting at a desk. You might be the owner of your own small business. And there are things that you don't like to do. I want to encourage you that that is all still part of a beautiful thing that God has allowed us to do. That there's still purpose and meaning behind those small things too. Amen? See, when, when God created, and he created all that there was, one of the interesting things that I find in this opening creation account is that God did not create every single thing. In fact, a lot of the earth was still largely undeveloped. In fact, working the garden and working the earth was to produce the things of the earth. So yes, God is the creator, but in the calling of Adam to work the garden, then things start to come into fruition as well. You see, God is not the only creator. I think the reason why vocation and calling is so important is that we have the opportunity to view work as co-creation with God. And you might be sitting here telling me, how is working on a financial model, or how is doing something so menial, how is that adding to creation? Well, we can talk about jobs, creation of jobs. We can talk about all these things that actually benefit not just the company that you work for or the people that you work for, but if you're self, you know, a self-owned business, then the things that you're creating is actually helping not just your community, but perhaps your family, perhaps the world. You see, we have this amazing opportunity to co-create with God. In fact, I would even argue that our human dignity involves work. God allowed the creativity of humankind to fill the earth. Ayn Rand who was a very heavy and strong critic of Christianity, she wrote this book called Atlas Shrugged. And in it, one of the, uh, the characters says this about the importance of work. Whether it's a symphony or a coal mine, all work is an act of creating and comes from the same source, the capacity to see, to connect, and to make what had not been seen connected and made before. Dorothy Sayers, a 20th century poet, British poet, she says this about work for, for humankind, that man is never truly himself except when he is actively creating something. That does not apply only to musicians and artists or creatives. I believe that applies to all of us. Whether you work from home, whether you're working in the office, out in the fields, what not. I also think that we have 
escalated or you know, kind of overemphasized the importance of retirement. Growing up, I used to think that, hey, I would love to make a lot of money and retire young. I have friends who, you know, uh, growing up, we used to say, hey, let's, let's try to retire by 40. That would be nice, wouldn't it? But some of y'all are, are nodding your head because we have escalated retirement. That we think for some reason that work is not as good as retirement or that work is not as good as rest and doing little or nothing. I would even, in fact, argue that even if you're retired, you should be working. You might not get paid for it, but even in your retirement, God is still calling you to create, still calling you to act, still calling you to have visions and dreams. My father, uh, he retired a few years ago from uh, pastoral church ministry. I'm a pastor's kid. And when he retired, we were so happy for him. It was like 30 years or something like that in church ministry, and it was a second career for him. And then maybe about two years into retirement, he, uh, he, he joined another church. And he drives three hours a week to go, because he still lives here in New Jersey, but he drives to upstate New York. And I asked him, why in the world would you retire and then basically unretire? And I remember his response being, you don't retire from serving Jesus. You don't retire from serving people. And I don't know what your vocation is, but just because you retired from a job does not mean that you retire from something that you're called to. So this morning, I just want to encourage you Wherever you are in the spectrum of work, retirement, please don't just stop thinking and processing and working just because you're retired. I hope that gives us the encouragement and the hope to be able to continue to work, to add value to the world, to create. Amen? There was a saying in the early church, a Latin saying, to labor is to pray. Just nod your head if, you, if you've heard of that phrase. To labor is to pray. And the early church, especially the, the ones who were living in a monastery, they would actually have this, this was a common phrase. To labor is to pray. Why? Because they didn't view spiritual life and the work life to be any different from one another. I think for some of us, we might compartmentalize one and the other. But for those individuals who are living a life fully devoted to Christ, to labor is to pray. So your work is an act of worship. And it wasn't just, again, this thing to do and then you rest on the weekends and you go to church on the weekends. No. Your work is the act of worship, but it's also an act of communion with God. So yeah, you might be crunching numbers, you might be doing some hard manual labor, but that in and of itself is prayer to God. It's not just singing songs. It's not just praying. Even your work is an act of worship. And I really hope that that kind of uh, challenges us, that when you walk into the office or maybe you're still working from home, that whenever you log into your computer, you're, you, know, you, you see the unread messages on Monday morning and you're already beginning to stress out. 
to labor is to pray. That even opening that email is an act of worship. The second thing is that rest is sacred. That rest is holy. It says this in chapter 2, verse 3, So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work. And it's this word Shabbat, Sabbath. And I want us to kind of see some of the, uh, I I think some of the value that comes from this one word, or one uh, verse. That God did not rest first. God worked and finished his work and then rested. God can do whatever he wants. He can rest, but by example, he showed us that he worked, created, finished creation, and then he rested. For us, our entire goal is, I think, oftentimes, is to rest. Let me work really hard, and then Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday comes along, and then we can rest. And that's, that's good. But let's get through work first so that we can rest properly. I find it interesting that the word holy or sacred only appears once in the Genesis of the book, the entire book. If you guys have been around the church, you know that kind of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, the Torah, they, were, they used the word holy very often. But it's really not until Exodus that the word holy with the introduction of the law comes into play. In the book of Genesis, the word holy is only used here once. So the first time it's used and the only time it's used is when it comes to rest. That after God worked, he stopped working and he rested. Rest is holy, it's sacred. But what does this show us about Sabbath, Shabbat, rest. I believe it kind of shows us one key thing about God. That God himself, when he was done creating, he wasn't exhausted. He was not exhausted. That when he stopped working, there was peace and serenity. He finished all that there was to do. And it was very good. It's as simple as that. I think maybe some of us, we get to the weekend and we want to rest and we're still stressed. We're in a state of anxiety, disorder maybe even. And then you dread the fact that you can't spend more time doing what you want to do or you should do. But if you're a parent, I think we all know that you get to the weekend and, uh, you know, you don't get your eight hours or ten hours of sleep that you need. You get maybe four. And your kids don't know if it's weekend or not. I'm a relatively newborn father. Um, Our kid is 14 months old. He wakes up at the same time every single morning, regardless of weekend or not. And you all know, if you have young kids, they're ready to go when they wake up. 
So what's a, what's a definition of Sabbath? I try to define it as easily as possible, and it's a rhythm of work and rest. Sabbath itself is a rhythm of work and rest. These are not two competing ideologies of work and rest. These are complementing ideologies. I want to challenge us to think about rest in a certain way as well. That not only does rest follow work, which, which we talked about. I mean, God worked six days and rested one. God didn't rest six days and then work one. But not only is it a sacred act of worship, I would even argue that rest is not just recharging your batteries. That it's not just recharging your batteries. So on a weekend, if that's the only time you have off, don't just sleep in. If that's what you need, by all means. But pick up the, uh, the hobby that you stopped doing. Invest in learning something new. Be outdoors. Write a song if you haven't done that in a while. I would even argue that rest is not even the sheer absence of work. It's not just that. There's a German philosopher, Joseph Piper, who says this about leisure or rest, that leisure is not the mere absence of work, but an attitude of mind or soul in which you are able to contemplate and enjoy things as they are in themselves without regard to their value or their immediate utility. That rest itself is a mindset. In fact, Hebrews chapter 4 tells us that we ought to strive to enter rest. And the last thing I want to say about rest is that rest looks different for everybody. What I enjoy doing on my time off is very different from what my wife does. So she understands that. So we'll have to speak to each other. We have to have conversations with each other to actually talk about, okay, this works for me. This is what I need or this is what I want. And she sells me the same thing. So friends, if you're having uh, trouble really communicating this area, I really ask that you just, just slow things down and just have a conversation. What is it? So it's not just recharging batteries, but what is it that can help you feel like you're investing in something else, right? Or spending time where you, where you want to besides work. The third thing I want to talk about this morning is just to offer a new framework for understanding what we call work-life balance. And I think when we talk about work-life balance, it looks this way, and I think we have a visual. What we try to do is we try to have equal parts because that word balance kind of alludes to this, that everything has its own percentage, own weight. And then what happens with us is that when things, when you spend too much time or too much focus or too much priority on one area, things will naturally fall apart if you have this mindset of work-life balance. The new framework that I would like to offer this morning is for you to think about work-life not in a balanced sense, but that for us, we should try and attempt to look at work-life harmony. I'll explain that in a second, but here's a visual that I think helps. Is that there are so many things that happen in our life, and that together, it's more fluid, it's more rhythmic, 
Because if we said that Sabbath is a rhythm of work and rest, then that's also the manner in which we should focus on work, life, and everything else that falls into it. So let me explain. I think when we think about work as a collection of equal parts, we actually begin to discount actually the value of work, but the value of every other thing as well. Why? Because Scripture tells us in Ecclesiastes, and I'm not going to put it, you don't have to put it on the screen, but there is a season for so many things. There's a season or time for all these various things. If you are a restaurant owner, or maybe you work in retail, maybe you're a CEO of a company, maybe you're an executive of a company, trying to fit your life into a 40-hour work week or five-day work week is nearly impossible. In fact, for those of us who work those types of hours, for you to think a 40-hour work week is sufficient for my job, you probably know that it's, it's not possible. If you have the mindset of work-life balance, then you will never accomplish the things that you want to accomplish through your vocation. Because then you have to rush home. And you have to spend equal time and equal weight with your family. Then you got to go and meet your friends. Then you got to work on a hobby. Then you got to spend time at church. And then some of us, if you've been there, you've burned out. So the reason why I say it, let's consider harmony is because there are seasons of life where we will have to work a lot of hours. That you are in the act of creating and you just simply cannot finish what you want to finish for that week, for that season, in a standardized, whatever, 40-hour work or five-day work week. I would even argue that it is less scientific because I think work-life balance could be more rigid scientific, that work-life harmony is more artistic, it's more fluid, it's more rhythmic, excuse me. So why do I think that harmony is better than balance? Well, the reason why is because I believe in Scripture, God tells us that that's how we ought to live with one another. It says this in, in Romans chapter 15, 5 and 6, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 3, verse 14, 15 says it this way, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Amen. I don't know where, where you are in, in your relationship with work. I'm just asking you to consider a few things this morning. But I think in the area in which we live, between two major cities, in central New Jersey, 
the amount of time we spend commuting, that I think it's worth the thought. I really do. And the reason why I say that is because a lot of us might actually be uh, it's not alcoholics, workaholics. Maybe that's what's causing you is your work to drink. <laughs> and most of you who are workaholics never see it that way. But some of the language that workaholics typically use is, I have no time for that, or I'm too busy, or when someone asks you how you're doing, your immediate response is, I'm busy, I'm tired, I'm exhausted. I'm not saying you're a workaholic, but I think these are some of the things that might come up. And the reason why I bring all of this up is essentially, our work oftentimes gives us our self-identity. If you have ever been let go from a job or fired from a job, this usually is triggered very quickly. Why? Because the very thing that you hold so core to who you are, your design, if that was ripped away from you, then you know I have truly lost who I am. I don't know who I am anymore. And how do I know this? It's not just first-hand experience. I have been let go in the past. But think about the way you view parties or social events. When you go to a party or social event, you're about to meet someone new that you've never met before. Oftentimes, you exchange names, and then the first thing you do or the second thing you do is ask them, what do you do for a living? What's your job? And then if you can connect, you might connect. And if you don't, you don't. But so often we use our occupation to define us and your vocation to tell you who you are. So the reason why we have to have this conversation for anything that happens in the home is because, yeah, if you're working, you're gonna bring something to the table. And it might be skewed. I just wanna end with some very simple tips for us to at least have this conversation at home or with your friends or people closest to you. And in order to, I think, view work not just as a balanced life but as a harmonious life, the first thing I would say is whatever situation you're in, whether you're at work or at home or coaching your kids' little league game, that the first thing you have to do is to be present. That it's not just the fact that you're, hey, I gotta spend two hours here with my kids and I'm gonna go hang out with my friends or I'm gonna go check some emails. No, 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 wherever you are in that moment, be present. Too often I think what happens in our day and age is that we work really hard and we get home around dinner time and you're so shot, you're so exhausted, you have nothing there, you're a shell of yourself. And so the people who kind of get the, the bad end of the stick is your family, are your kids, is your spouse. So be present. The second thing is have conversations about what your priorities are. And you might have to actually just stop and talk with the people closest to you. I think it's even worth a conversation to ask your spouse, do you think I'm a workaholic? Or the other end of the spectrum is, do you think I'm lazy? Do you think I'm too idle? 
number three, enjoy Sabbath. Enjoy rest. If you're good with four, five, six hours of sleep, that's good. You don't have to sleep in. Invest in something. Spend time with your kids. Have fun. Here's some more of my opinions. Pray twice as much as you worry. Pray twice as much as you worry because if you're in a high-stress job, then just because you left the job doesn't mean you stop thinking about it. In fact, your commute home, your weekends might be full of worry, but commit yourself to praying twice as much as you worry. The last thing, it's way more practical even than that. This applies, I think, to the CEO. This applies to the person who maybe might be underemployed. But whatever time you have, that you might consider free for that day. Spend that time in prayer and reading the word. So if that's 10 minutes a day, that's really all you can do, then split that time, five minutes of prayer, five minutes of reading your Bible. It's not squeezing Jesus in. That's not really what it is. But it's also recognizing who you are, what your schedule is. And so those 10 minutes might be the best 10 minutes of your day. And then you're gonna go back to work or you're gonna pick up where you left off and you're gonna remember that you're called to that place, that you're called to create, that you're called to this job. Amen? If you're struggling this morning and you might disagree with me vehemently, that's okay. Just, Just consider it. But maybe you just need to talk to someone else too and just get some real feedback. I speak, I say a lot of this stuff from just first-hand experience. And so um, I just offer this humbly before everyone here this morning. And I'll turn it over to the, to the worship team. But as we sing songs of praise, I would also like us to consider giving financially. And so we're kind of doing things differently in this season right now. In front of you, you'll see a bunch of QR codes along every row and even upstairs. And there, if you hold your camera open and let it, uh, the camera be open on the QR code, there will be a prompt and that'll take you to a website. That we ask is where you give. If you have cash or a check that you want to give, then there are envelopes here. If not, you can just also drop uh, your offering in every bucket by each um, exit. So feel free to do that. But it's, you're offering the fruit of your labor. That's how I see it. That it's truly an act of worship as well. It's not just what we're talking about. But in what you do for a living, God has also allowed you to receive. And so it's out of that grace that we give. I'll close up and I'll pray for us after we sing this song.